Hello, my friends. Uh, This sermon podcast is like super late. And I know that's probably not a big deal to most of you, uh, but it is to me, and I'm going to share a little bit why. um, But I'm sharing why for a reason. But let me say this, um, because you clearly know that our country is in the midst of an evolving awareness that black lives matter. And this has to be said because statistically, historically, and right now, Black lives haven't mattered to far too many in like an economic and judicious way. And and there's more to say about that, but I sat down multiple times this week to write part three of our series on the Lord's Prayer. The series we've been calling it, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And each time I would sit down to prepare, I would be presented with an opportunity to serve in ways that were simply more important than writing my sermon is probably the best way I can say it. Monday, I had the opportunity to be a part of an impromptu pastor's prayer Zoom call. Uh, Later, I was asked to be a part of a conversation that I actually had a little time on Monday to prepare for. Uh, Tuesday, I joined my brother Jeff Cravens and uh, several others from Shepherd Church, including my 16-year-old uh, Asher, we went to the Black Lives Matter protest at CSUN. Wednesday after meetings, I was on a on a different phone calls with friends regarding all of this up until literally minutes before uh, Jeff and I did our uh, youth summer small groups on Zoom. Jeff and I lead the the graduating senior guys and the guys that are going into their senior year, and we spent the whole hour and a half really talking about all that God is stirring up right now. Uh, Thursday, I drove down to Los Angeles to University Christian Church. I got to record and be a part of a conversation for their uh, weekend services with Pastor Rudy Haygood and his beautiful and wise wife, O'Sheree. And when I got home that night, I sat down to write this sermon. And one of my best friends who happens to be an African-American Christian leader, he called. He wanted to talk. We ended up talking for a couple hours and it was good, man. Friday, I started at 10 a.m. with our youth team, and up to 6 p.m., we were packaging and delivering graduation gifts to our 100 Shepherd Youth senior graduates. And uh, then at 6 o'clock, we got to celebrate them in a ceremony on Zoom, and that just blessed my heart. It's going to bless me for weeks to come. And then first thing this morning, it's Saturday, Uh, I joined four others from our church to talk about Black Lives Matter protests, uh, questions, and what we think is God's heart. This is going to be for our our Shepherd Youth blog. Now, it's it's, uh, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Saturday, June 6th. I promise you, you can think whatever you want, though. But I promise you, I checked my heart before before I decided to tell you all of that. Because I'm not bragging. Because all of that is what I should be doing. That's why I chose to do it. And I'm just being honest with you. Right now, I can't write a sermon. But but I want you to know that sermon preparation for me is like oxygen for my soul. It's been like that for the last 22 plus years. I cannot remember, literally, I tried. I cannot remember the last time I truly wasn't able and chose other things that kept me from sermon preparation. Listen, it's an honor for me to be a small part of a national 
outcry for humanity, for justice, for righteous anger, and for grace. I don't know if you can hear it, but there's there's helicopters going around uh, right now and see me because there's a uh, a really great uh, protest that was organized uh, today that I think is uh, is ending up now. I don't remember where I was. Um, so here's what I had planned to, to just jump on here and record what I'm recording now and give some impromptu thoughts about the portion of the Lord's Prayer that we were going to be on for this week. And then I remembered something. I'll blame it on God. I'll just say, God put it in my head. Who knows? I don't know. But several years ago, I taught a seven-week life group series for our church on the Lord's Prayer. And they're each like these short seven to ten minute portions on each part of the prayer. And so uh, this week, the part of the Lord's Prayer that we're on is, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So I'm going to call an audible, like to myself, from several years ago to do this podcast. And I hope you'll understand, you'll give me some grace that I didn't provide you with something brand new. But listen, I stand by all the words in this recording um, from from my teaching on the Lord's Prayer from several years ago, and I pray that it is effective and helpful as you continue to follow Jesus' response to our request, Lord, teach us to pray. Welcome to the SYA Podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it's our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We meet every Thursday at Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch. For more info, go to wearesya.com. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in the heavens, hallowed be your name. This, this term, hallowed, it's the verb form of holy. So maybe a more modern translation would be our Father, in the heavens, may we glorify your holy name. And holy, of course, the word holy is all throughout the Bible. It simply means separate or set apart. And it's talking about things that would be better or special or above and beyond. And as a kid, I had small crayon boxes of like eight crayons or boxes of 16. And usually these all got dumped into like a tub because these were the broken pieces, the ones that had paper ripped off. But then, set apart from all of that, for my masterpiece works, I had the sweet 64-box crayon set with the sharpener in the back. Do you remember these? These were the special, the holy crayons. Psalm chapter 77, verse 13 says, All of God's ways are holy. So God only does masterpieces. He's not, God's not an original God is the source of all things original. Oswald Chambers wrote that the Bible reveals not first the love of God, but first the intense, blazing holiness of God. God is ontologically other. He is outside of us. Yet, as Jesus reveals, God is paradoxically not beyond us. We exist in him. God fills our atmosphere here in the heavens now. The holiness of God is a consuming reality that often we can ignore. I mean, at times we as 
as believers. We're, we're like a child hoping to play with a caged lion as if we're to say, here, little kitty, I'll feed you. And this, this informal nature that we, in relationship that we have with God, this is good. It's modeled by Jesus in this prayer. But it is also impossible to grow in the knowledge of God and stay obtusely unaware of his colossal, holy, consuming presence. And many of you, you've known God since your childhood. And so you've experienced the gradual awareness of God's massive presence. And this is good. When I was 18, I first encountered and called upon the name of Jesus. I was half drunk in my bedroom but I was sobered up quickly like a, uh, like a child's first encounter with the ocean. While it's stunning and beautiful, it's, it's also terrifying and fiercely dangerous. This is also true of the paradoxical nature of God that he is safe and love and that he is ferociously dangerous. And this is the paradox that Jesus reveals in his prayer. In the first eight words of this famous Lord's Prayer, God is an ever-present Father. He is good and safe and love, and at the same time, God is massive, fierce. He is a holy, consuming fire. Hallowed be your name. So what's in a name anyway? I have, I have two sons. Uh, the first son is 14 years old. His name is Asher. The name Asher is Hebrew. It means happy or blessed. And Asher is one of the most happy, joyful, kind, and blessed kids I've ever known. Silas, my youngest, he's almost nine. His, his name is Greek. It means man of the woods or man of the outdoors. And Silas lives outside. He collects bugs. He would play in the mud all day long if his mom would let him. And he would also wear as little clothes as possible. These are their names, and they tend to fit their meaning. Israel was the name given to Jacob, and that name became the name of the entire Hebrew nation, Israel. The ancient rabbis debated whether Israel meant to wrestle and struggle with God or if it meant to see God. I've wondered if it's both. Like maybe the scene is in the struggling. I mean, think about this with your own life. Often it's in our pain and our heartache that we are jolted awake and we can see reality most clearly. That even in heartache, this whole thing of life is still so big, so mysterious, and so beautiful. And there's much to wrestle with, but maybe the scene is in the struggling. Israel. So what's in a name? Sometimes in a name is a revelation. It's a scene. In the Exodus story, Moses asks God, what is your name? God answers in the Hebrew, Hayah, which means to exist. God's answer to the question, what is my name? He basically says, I am, I exist, that's my name. And at some point along the way, four consonants, four Hebrew consonants were given for God's name, Y-H-W-H, because they believed God's name was too holy to be, to be spoken. And some ancient rabbis, they surmised 
that if you say those four consonants, which in Hebrew sounds something like yod Hey vav Hey, that this is the sound of breathing. And therefore, with every breath, we subconsciously speak God's name. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I like it. Because what's in a name? Sometimes what's in a name could be the very source breath of all creation. Our Father, in the heavens, we praise and glorify your name. Jesus teaches that at the heart of prayer is praise. It's worship. And worship, quite simply, is a genuine response to at least two realities. The first reality is who God truly is. The second is who I truly am in God's presence. God is holy. I am his child, for he is the ever-present father. So these two truths, God is holy, I am his child. When we hold these two truths in tension, or better, when these two truths hold me together, humility and gratitude collide and praise is what comes forth. Praise. Praise for the one who's given me breath. I breathe back a life of praise to God's holy name, to his, to his presence, to his love. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found only in Jesus, that there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which people must be saved. I grew up an average small-town punk. I, I didn't grow up in church had no interest in spiritual things. I cared about football, alcohol, and girls. And by the end of my 11th grade year in high school, I would drink liquor each night before bed and each morning before school. I was deeply insecure. I believed alcohol and the way it made me feel would mask my anxiety, my, my fears. And on a normal Tuesday, in 1993, buzzed on alcohol, I experienced things alone in my bedroom, things I didn't believe in, evil things. I heard voices, felt the physical choking, I saw images, and I sensed an evil presence. And finally, I slithered out from under my covers next to my bed on my knees, and I said my first prayer. I prayed, Jesus, if you are real, please help me. I think I'm going to die. And immediately I could breathe. The images were gone, the presence, the evil presence was gone. But then there was another presence. And it was the presence of the one whose name I had called upon. And I lasted in God's presence for maybe 20 seconds. It was too much for me, even though it was completely loving. I was like a, uh, I was like a child standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon for the first time with no guardrails. I told my parents that night, I woke them up, told them that I believed in Jesus and asked them, what do I need to do? Long story short, I was baptized in a bathtub sometime around three in the morning by my, by my father. What, what's in a name? Well, in the name of Jesus is everything. And so we would pray, our father in the heavens, may we praise and glorify your name for giving us the name for giving us Jesus so that we could know you, so that we could find peace and safety for our souls. Our Father in the heavens, everywhere, God that is safe and good and love. 
hallowed be your name. May our lives praise and glorify your name, and may your kingdom come. This idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, Jesus, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven more than any other single subject. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, at the beginning of Jesus' preaching ministry, he proclaimed, repent, change the way you think, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This, this phrase, at hand, in the Greek, it's the word in gizo. It means to join one thing to, an, to another, or to bring that one thing near to something else. Jesus tells a religious leader in John chapter 3, he says, unless you're born again or born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So in essence, Jesus' kingdom message was repent, change the way you think, and allow me to make you new from above so that you can see this kingdom reality joining here and now, heaven to earth. And the kingdom of God is not a, a location. The kingdom of God is God's reign. And Jesus saw everything through the lens of God's rule, his rule of love being unleashed and joined together in our world now. Jesus came to wake us up to the reality that the kingdom of heaven, that the atmosphere of God's very presence is, it's not out there somewhere. It is here now. And the kingdom has always been here, but Jesus is the name or the access key. It's, it's like Jesus is the red pill, opening our eyes to the matrix of God's kingdom here and now. Jesus' coming pulled back the curtain on God's world as it truly is, God's thoughts, God's ways. And Jesus is the way into God's matrix Narnia kingdom that's pulsating right here and now in our world. So our prayer for God, your kingdom come, it's not a prayer for God to bring something here and now that isn't already here and now. It's a prayer that God would open our eyes, that we would be able to see God, God's kingdom reality brought near through Jesus. The most scandalous part of Jesus's life was his associations. Jesus was friends with every type of person. He was friends with the social outcasts as well as the social elites. He was friends with despised foreigners, people who were educated and uneducated, the disabled, and people who were morally entirely inappropriate. So the great scandal of the gospel wasn't that Jesus came kicking the doors down, revealing God's kingdom here and now. The scandal of the gospel was that Jesus came kicking the doors down, inviting anyone and everyone to enter into God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, God here and now available to all, this is the great news of the gospel. And the religious power system left the multitudes out. Jesus after he kicks down the door, he invites all to come beyond the curtain to live in this reality as well as to live out this kingdom reality to the world. So if there's an answer to our prayer, your kingdom come, then the answer, God's answer, will look something like his kingdom coming through our kindness, through our respect, love, and through our invitation to all to step into the good news 
that God is here now. My young friend Adam, he, he killed a girl not long after he turned 18. He didn't mean to kill her. He was driving drunk on a, on a back Missouri country road. She was drunk in the passenger seat of his truck when he came speeding down a hill and slammed into another truck along the way. The week before I met Adam, he was sentenced to serve two to five years in prison. He was given by the prison one clergy visit for 30 minutes every Wednesday, but he didn't know any clergy, and he was the one that was supposed to set this appointment up. A girl from the church I worked at who was friends with Adam, she said that she knew somebody, and she arranged for Adam and I to meet. We met one week before he was due at the prison, and for almost two years, I met with Adam almost every Wednesday. Adam was broken, but there in prison, God opened his eyes to the kingdom. Now, God's kingdom had been present and active the whole time before, but Adam had never paid attention. Now, he was paying attention. He'd read his Bible every day. He'd write verses on his hands and on his arms. He'd write questions that he wanted to ask me when we met. He wasn't allowed to have uh, pen and paper at our meeting times. He would receive letters from family members of the girl who was killed. They said things like they hoped that he would die and suffer in prison, and that two to five years was a joke. And so we talked and we prayed through a lot of things, like accepting the choices that we make, taking responsibility for them. But we also talked about praying for others and forgiving others who see themselves as our enemies. And we prayed about what would it look like to live for Jesus right there inside of the prison, not just someday when he gets out. What Adam saw and experienced is what Jesus said was true all along, that the kingdom of heaven is available to everyone, even to broken teenage boys in prison for involuntary manslaughter. And so our Father in the heavens, we praise and we glorify your name. And may your kingdom come within us and through us. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.